let's go to text messages. And we've got some, we've got some pretty fun ones here this morning. Anyway, let's have a look here. The, uh, Illinois Legislation, Healthcare and Conscience Act. What a great act. Freedom of choice. That's what it's all about. Of course, too good to last in this crazy world we live in. The New World Order rules. At least, at, at, at present, at least the next step from coercion is force. History will attest to this. I think coercion and force are both the same thing, but, you know, we get the point. What's also interesting is that the opposite legislation has been passed in Texas and one other state um, where they've actually made it illegal for any company to create any kind of coercion for people to receive the vaccine. Because that's like the biggest thing in Australia is that it's like departments mandating. This is right. Yeah. This is, and this is, this is the thing that I object to and which is entirely un-Australian is that we are creating two societies and we are persecuting people because of their conscience. Mm. And really what you've got is you are benefiting. Yeah, anyway. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna leave it <laughs> let's, right there. Let's 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 put it back in the drawer. Yep. As I'm gonna start on a rant. All right. <laughs> Famine for all is coming with compliments from those who say we are doing it for your own good. Don't worry, we will look after you. And it's interesting. Wherever I, I can kind of see what's happening behind this text message, because wherever you have a situation where the government steps in and says, "Don't worry, we will provide," you have famine. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah. Communism creates famine. Simple mm-hmm. as that. Um, among all of the persecution that is happening in the world, God is working through the Holy Spirit to reach millions who are searching. Only God can read the hearts and their intent. All who seek shall find. Absolutely. And that was just one of the things that was encouraging to me reading about persecution was how that COVID has actually increased our ability to reach out to persecuted people mm. and to support persecuted Christians and to do evangelism in countries where it was impossible to do so before. Mm. You know, when as soon as COVID hit, we all instantly became TV evangelists. Yeah, that's right. And we've been honing those skills for the last couple of years, mm. which has been absolutely fantastic. And there's so much more material, religious material available online now because of COVID. Mm. You know, because it all gets recorded, all goes up there on YouTube. You know, every church is is zooming their sermon, and 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 the the you know the amount of religious material is just climbed exponentially. exponentially. Okay, the Jesuits say, give me your children for the first six years of their life and they are ours forever. It looks like the pandemic will continue for at least another four four years. They are doing the same to the world's population. Fear is the greatest destroyer of humanity who on the whole will sell their souls for security. Man can plan all he wants, but God rules and he decides what he will allow or not. Do not be afraid, God says. My peace I leave unto you. Mm. And this has been my biggest concern or has become my biggest concern with the COVID, um, the whole COVID thing is how much fear is peddled and how it is continually peddled. Mm. And the reason is because as human beings, we respond to stories uh, that are driven by fear. We respond to stories, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. We, are, we, we respond to stories that are wow. negative. Mm. And that's where the ratings are. And that's what sells news items. It's yeah. as simple as that. Totally. Um, but it creates a tremendous amount of fear. Nothing happens in this world that is not planned by Satan or God. The story ends and God will win. Um, Australia is last in climate ratings. What a lot of hot air. More pressure from the New World Order. Just a coincidence. Yeah, there might be a few puns in there somewhere on the line. Uh, yeah, Lawson and I were talking about this, and there's probably a couple of reasons why we're last, and I don't think um, either government is going to make a change. I could be wrong. Mm. I think both governments will um, provide lip service to it. 
and probably your left will provide more lip service than your right. And, and like, the, at, at one point, there was more than lip service, but then that turned into immediate removal from politics. And that's exactly why you won't get more than lip, lip service again. Yeah. Uh, because, that, you know, you, you do away with coal in this country and it's such a big, big contributor to the economy. No government wants to deal with getting rid of yeah. coal. Oh, dude, yeah, classic, you know, our, 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 our great lady... Julia Gillard comes in and makes a carbon tax. It gets booted out of politics permanently, like a year later. So, yeah, it, it, and it is a challenge. You know, you look at um, you look at. I was just reading some uh, news articles this morning, and all mm. of the major car companies are planning to phase out internal combustion engines uh, by twenty thirty or thirty five for Europe and America, but yeah. not for Australia. Mm. And the reason, of course, here in Australia, and this is some of the things that, you know, some of the unique challenges we have in this country is our wide open spaces. And we don't have the battery technology to to deal with the wide open spaces mm. that we have. You know, you can't cross the Canning stock route on battery power. Mm. Um, Toyota is going is not going down the battery path. They're going down the hydrogen path. Yes. And I think that's probably a lot more practical for a worldwide solution because Africa, Australia, uh, places like that, Russia, that have the wide open spaces – um, you know, hydrogen's easy to come by. Totally. Uh, so if we can if we can make that work, then that seems to me to be more of a solution. But everybody else is going battery, and, and to me, hydrogen seems to be much cleaner because you know batteries are pretty toxic things. Mm. You got to you've got to make them and you have got to get rid of them, and that's a nasty process. But wait, 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 wait. Doesn't a hydrogen fuel cell like store energy in a battery that then? Possibly, I don't know. That because that's because hydrogen engines are electric engines. That's that's the point, but yeah, I guess I guess we'll see. Is it? Is it? Uh, yeah, it probably does. Is be mm-hmm. create some kind of hybrid? I, I, yeah, like I, I'm pretty sure all like hydrogen cars. Well, this is this was the technology when the hydrogen, Honda came out. Yeah, the, and the and the uh, the but what they're looking at is is um, most of the car companies are going 100 percent battery. Yeah, that's right. Mm. So hydrogen is a solution that could deal with. Wide open spaces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, which I also support. Like, how good would it be having a hydrogen car? Ah, and, you know, the only emission it spits out is water. And who doesn't like water? I like water. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> anyway, let's go to the uh, singers. We're studying the book of Deuteronomy. Let's go to the book of Deuteronomy. Epic. Um, I love today's Bible study because in today's Bible study, we have been given just a whole chunk of mm-hmm. Deuteronomy. Uh-huh. We're doing a Deuteronomy study for these three months. And it's just it's just a pleasure to just get a whole chunk mm. of verses. So we're going to start in Deuteronomy chapter ten, and we're going to start in verse one. Why don't we do this two verses at a time as we work our way through it? Before we do, we've got a text message coming through here. Uh, let me just see here what this one says. Um, Newcast these days seem to big um, COVID advert pep rallies, huh? Yeah, I might just um, see if uh, the person sending that one through can uh, reword that because the way it came through here wow. is grammatically incorrect. I'm struggling with it. <laughs> All right, let's go that, to... That's um, just Lyle not being able to read. Probably. That's my <laughs> illiteracy coming through. <laughs> Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 1 and 2. Please, Lawson. That's where the Bible says, At that time the Lord said to me, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones. Also make a wooden ark and a sacred chest to store them in. Come up to me on the mountain, and I will write on the tablets the same words that were on the ones that were smashed. Then place the tablets in the ark. Okay, so who makes these tables of stone? 
Um, well, uh, this guy, his name's Moses. Yes. He cuts him out, chisels uh-huh. him down. Bluestone, as we found out the other day. Yeah. That was pretty cool. All right. Uh, and who writes on them? God. God writes on them. So this is definitely an archaeological find that I would just love somebody to make so I can go and see what the handwriting of God actually looks like. Hebrew from that long ago. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. All right, let's have another couple of verses. Uh, In verse 3, the Bible says, So I made an ark of acacia wood and cut two stone tablets like the first two. Then I went up on the mountain with the tablets in my hand. Once again, the Lord wrote the Ten Commandments on the tablets and gave them to me. They were the same words the Lord had spoken to you from the heart of the fire on the day you were assembled at the foot of the mountain. You know, it's an interesting experience when Moses comes down the first time and he's got the tables of stone that God has made Mm. and that God has written on. Mm. And you would think, you know, this is an incredibly precious artifact. And it would definitely be the most unique and precious artifact anywhere in the world. Mm. You think about today, if the Ark of the Covenant was found intact with the Ten Commandments intact, with the handwriting of God on those stones intact, you know, the thing that I love about that was you'd have um, archaeologists just freaking out and losing their minds trying to figure out how the writing was actually carved into the stone. Mm. You know, because how do you get that level of perfection? Mm. Uh, how do humans create that level of that would just that would be a fun thing to watch? Um, all kinds of non-believing archaeologists. You know, what would be really funny to watch is like when they come to the Ark of the Covenant, they're like scared to open it because they watched Indiana Jones and they're all suspicious and. Anyways, one of those movies is about the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah, no, nah, <laughs> I would open it. I would just, oh, 100%, because yes. at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's a... testifying of God. It's a box. like It's a box that God has asked us to make, yeah. and it no longer carries with it the prohibitions that it carried when it was part of the worship of God on earth. It mm. is now simply a representative of the great original that is in heaven, mm. and it contains a message that our world needs, so I would open it. But at the same time, like if this box was found... Yes. It would be the single greatest archaeological discovery of all time. So the greatest archaeological discovery of all time is the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yes. The second greatest is the discovery of Tutankhamun's tomb. Mm. Those are the two greatest archaeological discoveries of all time. Um, and the question is, you know, what are those artifacts worth? Mm. You know, if you were to take the collection of the Dead Sea Scrolls and put them on the open market, how do you assign a a dollar value to that. If you were to take the collection, you know, the Tutankhamun collection and put it on the open market, how do you find, assign a dollar value to that? These are one-off items mm. but like that have so much cultural and historical significance. But think about like the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? Because that's where immediately where my mind went. It's like the current, you know, most important, most hectic and expensive, you know, piece of archaeology that we've ever dug up. But think about, like, these, like, the Dead Sea Scrolls are literally just copies of the written Bible yeah, yeah, they're just, they're from just, a um, really long time ago. Uh-huh. Which, just, yep. which, is, which is great because it, it, the reason they were so important is because they confirmed to us so much about, like, um, history that at that time was a bit speculative. It's like, oh, no, this was really going down. Like, the whole library. Yeah. Um, but, like, the Ark of the Covenant 
is is the original. Mm-hmm. Like it is the one that we read about in like, and particularly if it's got the the tablets with the Ten Commandments inside of it as well. Mm-hmm. Like we're talking about like what these these Dead Sea Scrolls were copies of copies of copies of copies of copies describing. Yes. This. Like, yes. <laughs> like these Ten Commandments. Yes. It was like the Dead Sea Scrolls are the copy, 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 copies of the description of the Dead of the Ark of the Covenant. That's right. So this is, the, dude, it, like at that point, it's like, can it even have ownership? So, so Moses is carrying the tables of stone that God has written on himself. Mm. This is a one-off artifact. Yeah. And it has been bequeathed to Israel as the most precious treasure imaginable. Mm. Imagine what must have gone through the minds of mind of Moses when he lifted them up. You know, I, I picture him lifting them up above his head and just smashing them on the ground. Yeah, it's just like, you know, what kind of a relationship do you have to have with God to be able to do that? Mm. If you were any of the pagan nations round about, you would be so afraid and so terrified of your God. There's no way in a million years you would do that. But Moses understands the character of God. He understands just how much God loves these people. He understands how much he cares for them, and he understands the message that he can communicate by doing so. Mm. And out of all of the things that Moses said, probably the most powerful communication that he made was what he did when he smashed those commandments, mm. you know, just every single one of them broken right there at the bottom of the mount. So he broke all of the commandments mm. uh, when he smashed them on the ground. But yeah, we're getting we're getting sort of sidetracked from our story. We've got just this amazing story here. Let's continue reading. Where did we get up to? Let's read another couple of verses uh, because now Moses goes back up and the Ten Commandments are rewritten. So we come to verse 5 and it says, Then I turned and came down from the mountain and placed the tablets in the Ark of the Covenant, which I had made, just as the Lord commanded me. And the tablets are still there in the Ark. Then in verse 6 it says, The people of Israel set out from the wells of the people in Jakan and traveled to Mozarah where Aaron died and was buried, his son uh, Eliezer ministered as the high priest in this place, in his place. Okay, so we start to get a little bit of uh, historical story coming through here in, uh, in in Deuteronomy chapter 10. And, you know, this becomes um, important to the story because, well, Moses is recounting the story of what, of what took place, but we've got the death of somebody important here. Mm. Aaron dies, and mm. as a result of Aaron dying, then um, you know the, the the ministry passes on from there, and a new high priest takes his place, one of his descendants. And you know this would have been this would have been a sad day for Israel. Mm. All right, so we're going to cover a little bit of history. Uh, where did we finish up there? Verse six was in it? verse six. So we're going to can pick it up in verse seven. Yep, and eight. And the Bible continues on. It says, Then they journeyed to Godgada, epic name, and from there to Jotbatha, a land with many books, uh, brooks and streams. At that time, the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the Ark of the Lord's Covenant and to stand before the Lord as his ministers and to pronounce blessings in his name. These were their duties until this day. Okay, so, yep, that's what happened. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. Um, where did we get up to now? Verse 9. It continues on. It says, That is why the Levites have no share in the property and possession of the land among the other tribes of Israel. 
the Lord himself is their special possession, as the Lord your God told them. And then, okay, let's, let's, let's stop there and talk about the mm, Levites. Mm. So what was it that the Levites received? They didn't receive a, an inheritance, so what did they receive? They received God himself. That's, that's, what the, that's what the Bible says. Is it, is it entirely true that they received no inheritance? Um, no. Okay, so what? Yep. Because they received tithe yes. of the other tribe's inheritance. And why was that? Was this just so that they could sort of sit back and do nothing? No, because what they had received was essentially like they became the social well-being class of Israel. Like that was their job. That, like they became a group of people like this this tiny tribe that literally just worked on, you know, Everybody's, social support. Every, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I think we've talked about this before. Well, we have talked about this before, but it's, it's worth noting again as we go past, they were given six cities. Mm. These were called cities of refuge, and so they had, while they had no um, territory, they were given six cities, and they were given the tithe. Mm. So imagine in the ancient world, you know, we're going back to, you know, a couple of thousand BC, mm. and you've got, well, you've essentially got 13 tribes, Mm. But it's only counted as twelve because there's only twelve patches of land that are you know divided up, twelve states, so to speak. But out of thirteen, you've got one entire tribe that is set aside for the spiritual and social well-being of the nation. Yeah, wow. This is the tribe that are to be the preachers, the teachers, the educators, and the people that are to take care of the social needs of you know. This entire people. Mm. Where else do you find anything even remotely close to that in the ancient world? Like not at all. Yeah. And, and not not even not at all, but at this time, like it's not only that the Levites are unique, which it's like crazy. That, like in many other parts of the world, that they don't even have codified systems of law like the Ten Commandments at the very least. Like, But then furthermore, these guys not only have a codified system of law, but then it's like... They have, you know, God set up an entire entire class of people who deal with the social well-being of Israel. Like, it's so advanced relationally, like more than any other city that exists at the time. Like, these are, it's, yeah, it's it's incredible. It is. It is. You know, we look at our society today and we have a, we, we claim we have a civilized society, nothing close to what they had. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, so something we need to talk about that we haven't talked about yet, and that is the Sabina movie. Oh, yeah. Of okay, course. so this Sunday, mm-hmm. it launches in Australia. Uh-huh. You need to go to Voice of the Martyrs. Uh-huh. You need to go to this movie. You need to buy it. It'll be a one-off showing in your area. And here's how it works. When Christians create good movies that present a good message about the Word of God. Mm. If Christians then support those Christian movies, those movies will stay in the theatres longer. Mm. We've seen that happen in the United States where they just recently released... uh, Was it the C.S. Lewis one? The C.S. Lewis movie, and they were going to do it as a one-off across the country, one showing only in the major centres, and, of course, it's sold out, and now it's playing for like two weeks across yeah, wow. across the United States because Christians supported it. Mm. As Christians, why is it that Christians are always so tight? Christians are like, <laughs> ah, yeah, we'll just wait and we'll watch it when it comes out on DVD. <laughs> it's like, no, that's not the well, point. On a streaming device, I should say, not yeah. on DVD. 
worldly people don't do that when the latest Marvel movie comes out. Yeah, they freak out. And they line up and they pack the place. Mm. You know, you get you get something that's going to promote the the message of the devil, and you're going to have, you know, worldly people that are going to just be lining up for miles and miles and miles to support that and to make sure that it stays in the theaters for as long as possible, so that that message stays there for as long. I'm giving you guys a hard time today, right? Yeah. Because everybody, so here in Newcastle, it's playing at Katara mm-hmm. this Sunday, three o'clock. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be there. Mm-hmm. Shell's going to be there. We're going to make a date of it. Yep. This is an opportunity. But then they invited me, so then I'm just going to be like third wheeling. So then, I need friends then, to come along. No, you just need a friend. Bring a plus one <laughs> and we'll have a double date. No, but I'm... no. Lawson, needs a, Lawson needs a plus one. The number to that's call right, is that's 0491 <laughs> If you're 23 years old or somewhere between, say, uh, let's say 20 and 23... <laughs> Then that'll be just perfect. Give us a call right now. Or older. Lawson's up for a blind date. Coming up. Let's do this. Uh, blind date with the with the Faith FM team. With, with the Faith FM team. Yep. This is this is like a you could win. Da, da, da. We'll, we'll pay for your ticket. And we'll go to food pharmacy afterwards for a meal. Oh uh, no, we can't. It's, uh, it's not open, it's open on, Sunday. on Sunday. Monday to Friday. Yeah, that's okay. right. All right. But I could steal the key and we could use the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> nah, seriously, guys, if, 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 if we do not support good material when good material is made, then uh, that good material won't get made. Yeah, and then we'll have to support bad material, which exists. We don't have to do anything. Yeah, we don't. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You'll you'll well, understand. You'll understand thing. what this, Lawson this is, is saying. What I was trying to say is that if there's no more good material left, then all we'll have to support is bad material, which we don't want to support. Okay, somebody's asking: Can non-vaccinated people go to the movie? Uh, according to my reading of the latest government um, regulations, no. Mm. That's sad. That is sad. You can make a donation to Voice of the Martyrs. Yes. <laughs> buy a ticket. Buy no. He do this if you're not vaccinated. Buy two tickets for somebody else. Mm. Okay? Support it still. Buy two tickets for somebody else. Yes. All right. And send them off on a Sunday afternoon date. It's going to be amazing. (laughs) All right. Um, Also on the text message, the Levites, getting back to our Bible study, the Levites were also given about 2,000 metres or thereabouts of land in front of their cities, roundabout for farming and for cattle. 2,000 metres. Yeah, it's a couple of cases. So, yeah, a couple square kilometres. Yep. Okay, fair enough. So they weren't, they weren't given, uh, you know, they weren't given a state, mm. so to speak. Uh, they were given a city mm. or six cities and a couple of kilometres around it so they could, um, you know, have limited farming opportunities, not mm. like the rest of Israel, mm. uh, because they were also given the tithe. Where did we get up to in our passage? Let's keep reading. Yeah, I believe that we had gotten up until we've read verse nine, so now we're at verse ten, where it gets back into the history. Well, oh, by the way, I just should comment um, on on that on non vaccinated people going to the movie. That's because it's at a commercial movie theater. Mm. I think this is events cinema in Katara. Yes. Yeah. Mm. All right. So it continues on in verse ten. It says, "As for me, I stayed on the mountain in the Lord's presence for forty days and nights, as I had done the first time. And once again, the Lord listened to my pleas." and agreed not to destroy you. Then the Lord said to me, Get up and resume the journey and lead the people to the land I swore to give their ancestors so they may 
take possession of it. Okay, let's let's just keep reading uh, verse 12 and 13 as well. So then it says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God and you live in the way that pleases him and that you love him and serve him with all your heart and soul. And you must always obey the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. Okay, so isn't this a bit narcissistic by God? Um, isn't, he, isn't God just saying, okay, this is what I am commanding you to do mm. because I'm God and I'm all-powerful, therefore you must love me. Yeah, and I think it's like this is a conversation that I actually like having with people uh, about, about, okay. about passages like this and about the Bible. It's like what gives God the right yes. to tell us to do anything? Yes. That's like a fantastic question it's to ask. It's a great question to ask. Because it's like, okay, Let's say, without a shadow of a doubt, we prove that God exists. I, I believe in God. Like, yes. I believe that God exists, and there's plenty of evidence out there in, in every single field, you know, whether it's archaeology or, or, you know, within the sciences or history, within science, history or whatever it may be. I believe that God exists. Yes. But, let's, but we also have to say that evidence is evidence and can be interpreted all different ways, and so you can't actually definitively, definitively improve, uh, prove that anything exists that's, like, that's actually, you know, one of the kind of new realizations. You can't even prove that Lawson exists. You can't even prove. Yeah, you can't. Anyway, like, whatever. The point is, is that even if we could definitively prove that God exists, yes, in the like He shows up and and it's and it, like it is so clear. Is God worth as, following? As He's done before. As He has done before, hundred yes. percent. But the next question is: Is He worth following? That's a really valid question. Is He even if He does exist? Is He worth letting? You know, letting him—is it worth letting him tell you what to do in life? Uh-huh. Um, and ultimately, like, because what's going on here is like God is commanding from the people ultimate obedience yes. to Him, and it's like, it's like okay. And we ask the question: Is God being narcissistic? And the answer is like, based on the passages that we've just read about who God is, what He's done for the people the incredible laws that he set up, the life that he wants to give them, and the fact that he created them and he knows what's best for them. We ultimately come to the conclusion when we see the picture of the Bible and particularly the one he's trying to communicate them here, to them here in Deuteronomy, the answer is yes, because of who God is. Like, like it, it doesn't matter that God is all-powerful. It matters that, matters that God is all-loving and all-caring. And so, you know, like the reason he sets up this Levitical class of people is because he is so overwhelmingly interested in the well-being of the people. He loves them so much. He's done everything for them. And now he's giving them the opportunity to respond. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. And right now it is time for... Question of the day. Right, well, our question of the day comes from Freco, and he asks, why are all those people like prophets and disciples who all did what the Lord wanted, treated cruelly and died horrible deaths? And it's kind of one of those questions where it's like, okay, we don't seem to be treated cruelly and die horrible deaths. Why are they treated that way? So therefore, if... We become, you know, giants for God. Is that going to be what happens to us in the future? There's a few different things that we sort of probably need to take into consideration here. And the first one is that to be a, to do great things for God means to make yourself a much bigger target. Mm. 
And so the more that you do for God, the greater the things that you do for God, the bigger the target you are, the more well-known that you are. The second thing that comes into this is, and this is a question that sort of goes through my mind, is, okay, why were the most faithful people treated the worst? Mm. But the question that follows after that is, were these the most faithful people? You know, you think about some of the great prophets of the Bible. Let's take Elijah, for instance. You know, was Elijah a great prophet? Yes. Was he terribly persecuted? Yes, he was. Now, he wasn't one of those who actually ended up by giving his life. He was one that was uh, translated and taken to heaven. But think about what happened to Elijah. You know, he, he's just sitting in his home one day doing his thing, living his happy life, and God says, go and tell King Ahab that the, there won't, there'll be a famine for the next three and a half years. Walks into King Ahab's like, yeah, there's going to be a famine for the next three and a half years. Walks back out again. And, of course, he is then hunted mercilessly for the next three and a half years. And as Ahab, you know, hunts him, he's like, well, where's he living? He's, 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 he's being fed by crows. He's living out in the desert. And then, of course, he, you know, he, he travels and, and has the hospitality of a widow further on in this whole experience. But it's a pretty terrible experience that Elijah goes through, you know, and then, of course, he's got Jezebel on his tail and Jezebel, you know, promises to murder him. And he knows that's not going to be a fun death. And it just sort of goes on and on and on through Elijah's life. And you think, okay, why does somebody who is so righteous and so in connection with God face all this kind of persecution? And yet the reality is that the difference between Elijah and you is that Elijah was more prominent. It doesn't necessarily mean that Elijah was more righteous because every single one of us are broken human beings in need of the grace of God. And the only reason that Elijah did the things that Elijah did was because of the grace of God. And that same grace is available to you and I. You know, if we go to, uh, let me see, James, for instance, James chapter 5 and verse 17, the Bible says Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. He prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three and a half years. He prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. And so, you know, you look at the, you know, and, and, and you know, James brings this up because James is saying, look, you know, we look at these people of the past, we look at the celebrity preachers, we look at the celebrity prophets, we look at the celebrities who have done great things, and we think, well, you know, they did great things because they were great people. No, they did great things because they had they relied on the grace of God, and God is great, and God did it through them, and Elijah was just like you and I. Okay, why, was he persecuted more than you and I? Yes. Why? Because he was more prominent than you and I. The other thing that we've got to remember is that we live in a time period in Earth's history, and this is a question that is, you know, it's unique to Western countries, it's unique to free countries, and it's kind of unique to the last couple of hundred years. Because our period in Earth's history is an aberration. We, in the last couple of hundred years, have been the only time period in Earth's history where it's actually been safe in many of the countries of the world to be a Christian and to publicly and openly proclaim your faith. And we need to remember that privilege. We need to cherish that privilege and we need to use it for as long as it lasts because this is not going to be a privilege that is going to last forever. The history of God's people has been a history of persecution. Now, would God have the power to step in and interfere? Yes, he would. But imagine how that would upset the whole equation in the great controversy. You'd have a situation where you would, you would have Satan saying, well, the only people who follow God are people who just want protection. You know, Love isn't a thing. They're just following God for what they can get from him. 
And of course, God would lose out in the great controversy if that was to take place. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.